0: Since the beginning of the pandemic, the American Medical Association has led the fight against COVID 19. As the nation copes with the effects of the crisis, we continue to offer tireless advocacy and expert resources. I'm Todd Unger, and this is AMA Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association. This episode is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's COVID 19 update. We're talking with Dr. Betty Chu, Senior Vice President, Associate Chief Clinical Officer, and Chief Quality Officer at Henry Ford Health System in Detroit, about her experience leading Henry Ford's response to COVID 19. Dr. Chu also serves on the AMA Council on Medical Service. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Uh, Dr. Chu, back when the news First began servicing about COVID-19, you pivoted to a completely different role within Henry Ford uh, that put you in charge of the system's pandemic response. Tell us about that change and what those early days were like.
1: Great. Thanks. Well, thanks so much, Todd, for having me, and thanks to the AMA for all the support that they've given to our patients as well as our physicians. Um, it's been a really interesting year, I think, for everybody. Um, for me. In general, my role right now is overseeing quality and safety for the organization that includes infection control and prevention. Um, The pivot that occurred, though, was that during the pandemic, um, I became what's called the incident commander for our system incident command. And during that process, really got um, very actively involved in helping the organization um, make sure that we had a strong, steady and regular approach to uh, solving problems on on a daily basis for our patients and our employees.
0: Well, take us uh, through some of the key efforts uh, that you uh, uh, put forth to ensure that Henry Ford was prepared to deal with uh, the onslaught of COVID cases.
1: Sure. Yeah, so starting in um, January, you know, we had already been tracking the COVID cases, of course, abroad in China and in South Korea, as well as in Italy. And so, as we watched that occurring, and we started to have to put policies in place like a lot of other organizations, you know, if an employee was traveling from an endemic area and coming back, would they be quarantined? What would we do with that employee? So, really, through January and February, we'd been doing a, a lot of, of tracking through my department. Um, and then um, as we got into March, end of February and March, it became apparent that we were going to have to certainly deal with this more on a domestic basis. Um, and, and on March six, we opened our system incident command. Our first case of COVID in Henry Ford Health System occurred on March 14th. So during that time period, um, again, early in the year, we saw January, March, and then January, February, and March, a lot of tracking and trending, and then really a very earnest effort on a daily basis of managing the crisis as we started to see more and more patients through March and then till when we hit our peak in April. Well,
0: when you think back to, you know, the the steps that you took back in the those early days, you know, what worked and what didn't work and what would you change knowing what you know now?
1: I think like every organization our entire operations were consumed by this particular crisis. So I think things that worked really well was the entire organization pulled together, not only internally in the company, but also externally in the community to help us focus on that singular thing, which is COVID, um, which rarely happens even when we have other kinds of crises in in healthcare related to you know, uh, environmental events or related to weather events, for, for instance. In this particular case, it's a crisis that impacts not just our patients, but our employees as well. So I think what worked really well is that we collectively pulled together and had a unified effort around uh, solving problems and issues on a daily basis, basis to keep our patients and our employees safe. Uh, I think what we can do better is, I think in the future and what we've learned, we've taken a lot of the lessons learned during that first wave, And we're using a lot of that in our second stage planning for the fall around COVID. But we've also used a lot of those lessons learned to figure out what do we need to do better as an organization on a daily basis to make sure that our employees and our patients are safe. So we've implemented some of the things that we've done during um, the COVID crisis, and I can share with you some of those if you're interested. Yeah, let's
0: Um, talk about you're you're looking at the fall pretty, you know, here coming up very rapidly. What kind of changes are you putting in place? How are you preparing?
1: Yeah, so again, they're around various things like, for instance, supply. So like every health system um, in the early days, um, we were just trying to keep up with the demand. We had such tremendous demand for supplies that historically we didn't keep, have to keep at this inventory level. So, you know, having different ways that we'd have runners on the floors counting inventory versus historically you'd keep them in a storage room and then people would go there and check occasionally, maybe every couple of days to see if your inventory was up to, up to par. Now we're, we had burn rate calculators and we had runners checking on inventory on a daily basis. And so even those types of things related to supplies and we'll continue because that inventory management will really help us as we go into uh, the later stages. Other things that we really did were looking at our staffing, staffing models, and making sure that we had an adequate amount of you know, precious resources in the organization like environmental service workers and ICU nurses and physicians in our emergency departments. So knowing what those critical job categories are and were, were and continue to be as we go into the fall and doing some of that planning um, has been really important for us as well as we plan for um, what's likely gonna be another surge in the fall.
0: As you think again about the lessons learned, what you're implementing going into the fall, what advice would you give other health systems across the country uh, to, to benefit from your learning?
1: You know, I think um, the most important thing in a pandemic is um, leadership providing a consistent messaging around people's security and their safety. Because if um, our employees are feeling unsafe uh, either in a real way, that is they don't have the supplies that they need, or in a psychological way. They don't feel like their leaders are listening to them. They don't feel like um, they're, they understand what the policies are that have been passed. So I would say the biggest um, thing that we learned and that we continue to learn is you can't communicate enough and that when you do communicate, you have to be incredibly consistent with the messaging that you communicate so that people feel that we've got their backs um you know on a regular basis so and there's multiple as you know in your in your in your work there's multiple channels that you have to communicate with people because quite frankly If you're busy working on the floor, you don't open emails. Um, And uh, if you're at home and you're somebody who's been um, off work because that area has been closed, let's say during the pandemic, a lot of our ambulatory clinics closed, but we needed to communicate with those providers um, that weren't working in the clinics themselves. And again, they probably weren't checking their work emails a whole lot. Um, We needed to find different mechanisms to be able to communicate to people on the things that were happening inside of the organization.
0: You know, one of the things you said struck me uh, we had a, another physician, Dr. Bradley Dreyfus, who runs something called HCW Hosted out in Arizona. And when they're thinking about preparing for uh, a pandemic, it's not just the kind of the physical means, the rooms, the, uh, the, the supplies, it's the actual, you know, the foundation of what physicians need to be able to do their job. It could be child care, it could be transportation, it could be a place to stay. Are those, uh, you know, the types of things that you have to deal with too as you think through what might happen if we start to see utilization rate? approach what they did in the spring?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and during the crisis that became very apparent. Um, So part of the system and incident command structure is to have the key elements of support that have to have a, if we give them a directive to action, that they can go out and figure out how to solve um, that particular issue. So your point of, we had a lot of physicians and providers, as you know, we didn't feel comfortable going home into their environment, and we needed to provide them housing. Um, so we've partnered with a lot of hotels in the area and a lot of areas uh, places in the area to help them find somewhere to stay uh, temporarily. Um, we've also had, um, just like every other health system, um, an economic downturn that's affected spouses of our employees losing their jobs. And so we've been really fortunate that we've had a lot of support from the community um, and been a- have been able to provide philanthropic support um, through our organization, um, providing relief for rent, uh, relief for Um, car payments, uh, relief for payments for childcare, for many, many of our employees. We've given out almost a million dollars in um, benefit to our employees um, to help specific needs that they might have uh, to keep them going. Um, Because again, we don't want them to worry about their economic hardship while we're asking them to come to work and also help service our patient population.
0: That's fantastic. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, what you just mentioned around the community. So, I know that one thing that Henry Ford prides itself on is its connection to the community. What role has that connection played in your pandemic response?
1: Yeah, you know, I would say it's been incredibly heartwarming. It has um, buoyed the physicians. And the nurses and the frontline staff so much to see the community provide support, whether that's food support, whether that's, you know, the fire departments that would drive by and wave their flags and just give us a show of support, um, whether that's, again, some funds that were provided, you know, from our COVID relief funds that we have for our employees. So that has been strengthened. Also, these community partnerships. So right now we provide testing for a lot of our community partners um, in in multiple organizations. Uh, We were able with DTE, which is the big energy company, of course, in our area to provide testing for one of their plants, but we've been developing many of those partnerships with small and large employers. And then the final thing I would say is during the crisis when we were really working on PPE, we were able to partner with a lot of companies that were producing masks and face shields and gowns, isolation gowns for us. And so one of the fun things that I got to do on the job is um, get these prototypes of some of the things that people are producing and, and, um, and see these kind of prototypes that people are making that used to make you know, covers for machines. And now they're making isolation gowns for you know, our frontline workers. So that was really heartwarming, I think, to all of us.
0: Well, you've personally appeared on uh, local media stations and other places to help answer a lot of questions about COVID-19. Why is it so important for physicians right now to have a voice and how can those who are interested in speaking do it?
1: So the the importance of a physician as a leader in general, I think um, for those of us who are very involved in the AMA, I think we appreciate that there's a continual need to be advocates, not only for physicians, but for our patients, for our community and for public health. And it's become clear during this pandemic that having a trusted source of information that you can get your information from that's science-based and reliable is incredibly important. So I would say now more than ever, uh, we need physicians that are gonna be out there providing a clear and consistent message. I also believe physicians are inherently trained if you're an effective physician in communicating to the public because that's what we do every day when we talk to our patients about things that are relatively complex and science-based and translating them into a way that that patient can feel reassured and feel uh, comforted. And so, for me, um, it is a it's really a, a, a priority and imperative that physicians embrace that role. and And I would encourage them to to your question about how can they do it. I think there's lots of opportunities if you look around you. You contact your local agencies. You um, you start getting involved in your local communities. People are looking for um, advocacy from physicians. Okay.
0: Well, lastly, do you have any final words of advice for areas that are still seeing overwhelming numbers uh, every day?
1: Well, I am incredibly empathetic um, to the, uh, the mental burden um, that being in the height of the crisis can cause. Um, we've invested a lot of time and energy post-COVID on our employees, trying to understand um, what they need. We've provided a fair amount of behavioral health support for our employees, as well as a lot of our leader rounding now is is really checking in our employees to see how they're doing, what they need. Um, We recognize there's, um, like during any crisis, people are really running at 100 miles an hour, and then when they stop running, they realize, wow, emotionally I'm not doing so well. So I would say if, if you're not thinking about it now, thinking because you're in the height of the crisis, starting to plan and prepare for the effects of the crisis on your people um, and how you're gonna need to support that is gonna be critically important.
0: Yes, I think we've all kind of moved through that period of adrenaline, and it's yeah. good to know that you're working on uh, taking care of physicians and your healthcare teams who've been through so much and getting ready for the fall. Dr. Chu, thank you so much for uh, speaking with us today and sharing your perspective. That's it for today's COVID-19 update. For updated resources on COVID-19, visit ama-assn.org slash COVID-19. Thanks for joining us, and please take care. This content was originally published as part of AMA's COVID-19 daily video updates. Find the latest at ama-assn.org slash COVID update. I'm Todd Unger, and this is AMA Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association. You can also subscribe to other great AMA podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher, or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.